I need a little more light here, do you think? No, you're perfect. Okay. But, I mean, you're in a newsroom. You you you, uh, you look Actually, uh, I went I went up to a conference room where I thought it'd be a little quieter. So <laughs> Yeah. So somebody wouldn't come running up and saying, "Mr. Gianola, there's breaking news. You can't <laughs> yeah. talk that doofus in yeah. Central Oregon anymore." I'd be like, "What? What? Oh, I mean, I'm gonna loosen the tie though." Oh yeah. Anyway, kick, kick back. And so you're golfing a lot. Trying to. Gosh, I Trying wish I could to, do yeah. that. Kayaking, yeah, I, hiking. Oh, that is awesome. I, I'm <laughs> I'm jealous of you. Oh. I I still got one. Uh, my youngest is a senior in high school, so I'm still. I'm still working it, you know. Yeah, you know when you you start that uh, second round of kids, that kind of uh, uh, yeah, that kind of delays the retirement option. Yeah, doesn't delays it? <laughs> delays the retirement quite a bit. Yeah. Hey, well, welcome to the good old days of Portland media. Uh, congratulations <laughs> that you cross all lines of the good old days, the real good old days, and the days <laughs> you're in now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know which are the good old days now or, or back then. You know, just a, it, it's just amazing how fast everything changes. Yeah. And I, I think you I think now you've got to be really careful not to dwell on the good old days, because while they were good old days, they're old days. And you have to kind of keep looking forward, you know, look through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. So you don't want to get too. uh reminisce and I think about the good old days and say well I wish we could then you sound like the old guy on the rocking chair on the park well my, my day we never would have done that on the air you know you don't you don't you don't want to do that but uh you just kind of have to grab those new challenges and go for it man it's a lot of new challenges well it's funny you bring that up because a lot of the people that I talk to are like me out of the business and and you know boy we talk about the business we talk about journalism and almost to a person they all say boy I wouldn't want to be doing it now uh, partly because of the political divide and partly because of the, uh, the pressures of social media. You know, when I started, the deadline was five o'clock and now yeah. the deadline is right now. Um, you talk exactly. about chal- challenges. You have uh, navigated those challenges where you're still existing strong in this new thing that some of us are afraid to even touch. Well, I'm not I'm not probably as swift with social media as I should be, but I really have a philosophy about it, Carl. And maybe it was just the way I was brought up, you know, I, but I always tell the young reporters, tweet less, think more, you know, don't, you don't, you don't want to be so obsessed. And what I don't like to see is when the reporters get so obsessed with, you know, their Twitter feed. I mean, I've had reporters and anchors when I'm out on the set, they're busy. We're in the middle of this, they're taking selfies out on the set like you know my fans need to see me now and I'm kind of old school I'm like whatever you're doing you need to be 110 percent present you can't be on a news set and at the same time I think you know tweeting your latest selfie or whatever you've got to be present so I always tell them yeah stay on top of your social media and I'm probably not as swift as it as you are but always think about tweeting less and thinking more, you know, that's a, and that's a great philosophy. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I, that, I mean, I understand the, you know, the, the selfie thing is, Hey, I'm there's Jeff and, uh, and we're going to be on the air with my story. That's very important for you to see to try right. to attract people there. That's the new way of promotion. Uh, but boy, if you're not 100% into the presentation and the accuracy yeah. and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's not going to be worth the tweet you sent out. Exactly. Exactly. That's so, yeah. And, and, you know, there's just a lot to, uh, there's just a lot to, 
to concentrate on now in a newscast. You know, you got to be here, you got to be standing over at that wall. So you're worried about the technical things and, and really connecting to what you're about to report on. You know, you, I've already gone over the show. I've changed a lot of, of what's there, you know, but, but I think you have to be present in what you're doing. And I think it's hard to do for, for with social media and stuff where everyone's trying to do everything at once. You end up not doing anything well. well. Yeah. Yeah. Very so, good. Yeah. And uh, interesting that you mentioned that, Jeff, because I got a little bit before I left. But I mean, your first newscast uh, anchoring, you know, 38, 40 years ago, you sat at a mm -hmm. desk and you yeah. maybe had two cameras to look at. Now it's well, go stand in front of that wall. Go stand yeah. on a two shot in front of this monitor uh, and, and walk back to the desk while you're reading a VO. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Carl, I always thought I was very lucky. I grew up in San Diego and I had a paper route. And one of my stops, my last stop was a television station called KGTV in San Diego, which is an ABC affiliate now. I think then they were NBC. I'm, I'm not sure. And they had a cafeteria with an ice cream machine. So I'd always go in there, you know, and get an ice cream sandwich. But then I would go watch the newscasts. And that's where I decided that's what I was going to do. Nice. And, and, and I came from a pretty poor family, a big family, pretty poor. So I ended up going to junior college but was doing an internship at a television station, that same station, KGTV. And as I was working there, eventually I did every job. I started out gripping, which was then carrying the recorder for the cameraman out in the field. But how lucky was that? I got to carry that recorder, watch how the cameraman worked and watched how that reporter worked. And I worked with all of them down there. Mm -hmm. And then I was in the newsroom as an assignment editor and a, a news writer, eventually a producer, and then took a cut in pay to go to um, Santa Barbara, where I started my on-air work as a reporter. And then I started doing everything, filled in for weather, did this and that. But when I was in Santa Barbara, Reagan was president. So Reagan was in Santa Barbara at his ranch all the time. So the White House press corps was always in Santa Barbara. <laughs> so now I'm rubbing elbows with Helen Thomas and Sam Donaldson. And, you know, I was just always lucky that I seemed to be at the right place at the right time. And then came to KATU here in Portland in 1983. And part of that was not only could I report, but I could also do weather. And I could also almost they could almost put me in any slot. And that was a that those were good skills to have, I think. You know, yeah, being well rounded. You were, you were kind of like that in your career. You could always do a lot of different things. Well, know? I started in sports. Right, I yeah. remember. And I, I guess sports is where I kind of got my anchoring um, practice because when the you know Scott Leonard, Joe Becker, when they were off, I'd be anchoring the weekend. So I you know I learned how to write a script that could be read on the air and read it on the air and. And then one day when I had switched to news, they were saying, hey, anybody come in and uh, to do the weekends this weekend? I said, yeah, I, I will. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, I think and weather was the same thing. Remember, you're doing weather without a script. Yeah. So you're thinking on your feet. And then, you know, eventually Channel 2 liked me so much in weather. They made me the full time weather person at uh, six and eleven uh, eventually. So I was working with Bosley, the legendary Jim Bosley, who I just adored. Yeah. You know, I just the funniest man. If there was ever a personality, I don't think there's ever been a bigger television personality than Bosley. Hello, my friends. How are you? You know, he was just he was bigger than life. And he 
really, I looked up to him. He, he was such, there was such a gentle side to him. Right. And, and, and I loved that, but that's where I introduced uh, that Bob, the weather cat, who was actually named Hank, who right. was <laughs> Bob, Bob Foster was the cameraman, you know, Bob. And, yeah. I worked with Bob. Had, yeah. And he had a cat named Hank. And one day he comes to me and says, I got this cat. I put him in a funny outfit and maybe you could use him in the, I go, God, then I started saying, You'll just use them every Friday. But when I went on the air the first time, I couldn't remember the cat's name. And I, of course, remember, I said, here's uh, Bob the Weather Cat. Started doing that every Friday. That became huge, just huge. It was in People Magazine. It was in, you know, and you look back on it now and it kind of looks stupid. But back then, it just captured everyone's attention. And this is before social media, you know, this, you're just doing this on TV. And, and if you ever huge. left Bob the weather cat out of Fridays, you probably heard about it. Well, you heard about it. And then when they moved me to the anchor desk, David Apple, uh -huh. uh, who's no longer with us either. He, uh, he refused to, he wasn't going to run the cat. So he didn't do it one Friday. And I said, David, you're going to get thousands of calls. And sure enough. And after that, he continued the tradition. And then Bob died. And Bob Foster put together a half-hour show on Bob, and the last last scene is an image of Bob the weather cat floating up to heaven, and that I still think holds the record for the highest-rated back then. How they did ratings, yeah. local show that was huge. People watched that, and and, and today crying. you saw Bob go to heaven. Today it'd be online and it'd have five million hits. Exactly. I was just going to say that. But back then, you know, that, that was, so those are the good old days. Yeah, it was just are. plain old TV. Yeah. Yeah. Your Bob the Weather Cat was kind of the same as Dave Seleski's Weekend Ho. I don't yeah. know if you remember. Every Friday at the end, he would go, head him up, move him out, Weekend Ho. And if we left that sucker out, I, I think some news director came in and said, forget that. Stop doing that. Yeah. That's they always do that. And two weeks later, it was back in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, uh, there was, you know, those little things I think viewers really used to look forward to, you know, those, those little bits like that that you could you could do with weather. But, um, you know, I I, uh, I went into that anchoring and then just kind of never looked back, was paired with Julie Emery. And then Julie and I kind of grew up on the air together. And I know you've talked with her and, and, and we just kind of went from there. And then so yeah, the just, chemistry you know, is. Uh, Chemistry is something you can't invent. It's probably sometimes yes. accidental. I always felt that uh, yes. uh, I was lucky enough that the people that I anchored with was that way. But because you can tell when the chemistry is not there and it doesn't work. Exactly. You, you, you just sense it. You know what I always tell people? If you want to know if two anchors get along, watch their newscast without the sound turned on. Because 80% 80, 80 of what viewers see is body language. Yeah. It really is. And if you see an anchor standing like this... and if you see me, maybe I take it too much the other way because I kind of sometimes get relaxed, but I'm, you know, not in these COVID days, but I would be touching anchors. I'd be moving over there and I'd be, but I also have a philosophy and I think this always helped me that I'm only as good as the people I'm surrounded with. No kidding. You know, if I'm trying to be, and, and you and I know the anchors who were all in it, they were just concentrating on themselves and weren't there and, and, and they're not real successful. It's the ones that, you know, I'm going to, if you're on the set with me, I'm going to help Carl. I'm going to let you kind of make fun of me. And I'm going to, you know, because I like you and we're going to get, you know, and, but viewers can tell when you don't like each other, you know, they can tell that, that, that if it's genuine or not, you, you know, bet. 
and that's that that's that chemistry thing and uh, it, it just it comes well, I think it comes naturally to people who are good at their jobs and good people and can get along but you and Julie certainly uh, had that and, oh. and and took it together to coin a few years later but a couple things at uh, K2 uh, you were a longtime host of Town Hall which is uh, you know an important part of Portland oh, TV was... history uh, for years and years and years and I, I I'm away, so I'm not sure if Steve Dunn's still doing it now. Not as often. No, they, they canceled they canceled that show years ago. But once yeah. a week there was an issue, there were people on both sides, yes. and there was a moderator, and it was you, and that is not an easy job. It was a tough job. And and how I got that job was, you know, Jack Faust hosted it for years. Right. The show started in nineteen seventy-six. I remember. And he host he hosted it for years. And then he was also um, an advisor to Bob Packwood the senator when bob packwood got in trouble jack kind of said you know we've got some town halls coming up on bob packwood i can't really do those uh because you know um I, I have an interest yeah and so they had me fill in and i filled in a little bit and then jack decided he was just you know he, he had done it long enough and he and i had some great talks but those were i was so afraid about filling in those shoes Jack used to sit in a chair and spin around like this. Mm -hmm. well, I couldn't, I wasn't going to do that. I needed to do something different. So I just stood with a mic and, and walked around and, and um, I filled in for a few shows. And then um, I was in the middle of contract talks at the time. I think it was a five-year contract. And they said, do you, and, and I, and my attorney who was handling it, I've never had an agent, I always had a local attorney. And he said, do you want Jeff to continue with town hall? And they said, no, we're getting another host. Da, da, da. So no sooner did I sign the contract, then they literally laughed at me and said, your contract's inclusive, you're doing town hall. And I thought, oh my gosh, because sometimes that was live on Sunday a lot. That was a six day work week. Right. And I was thinking five years, what did I, and you know, but later, um, I just decided I'm going to do the best job I can with it. And I thought I did a pretty good job with it. We had some great town halls, including some remote locations where we did one at a, at a, at a, at a juvenile detention camp out right. in Tillamook that yeah. I thought was a great story. And we did some Frank Munjum, who, you know, was the producer. They did a great job. There's always a great supporting caster, but town hall was such an important part of local television and when they let that go, when I left K2 in 1998, Steve Dunn did it for a while, and then they kind of just took it off the air. It and became, it, instead and of become weekly, it became like quarterly, quarterly, or, monthly or something like that. And then it kind of just disappeared, you know, and... But th yeah. that's a great challenge that you took on and did such a great job of. I mean, because the issues were always important. Uh, yeah. The people, you know, everybody had something to say. Uh, you yes. had to, you had to keep it Balance balanced. It you, you had to keep it controlled. You know, uh, and uh, you know, the times that I saw uh, town hall with you and with Jack Faust, uh, it was just an important show for the Portland market to have. It was, it was a treasure. You want to hear the funniest story about town hall? Please. So that's why we're here. We we always did once a year a town hall on UFOs for some reason because no it really, really, or something like that, something like, and it was a fascinating show, like a guy that worked in a forest service uh, fire outlook that didn't believe in him, but one night something weird happened. He told his story and stuff. Well, we had a live crew out in, in Naha, Oregon, where apparently some of these UFOs had been landing and they would leave burn marks behind and then they'd take off. 
So we had, I I switched double box. So they're live there. I go, let's go now live to Naha, where residents there have reported seeing UFOs and they've left, you know, burn marks on the ground. I'm joined by Bill Smith or whoever it was. And there was this big guy and he's this every, hi, Jeff, glad to meet you. And I said, yeah, uh, Bill, now tell us about what you said. Well, the lights was a whirling and they was going down and we see that then then it took off and da, 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 da. And I said, and I understand it left something behind, you know, wanting him to get into the burn marks. He goes, well, I don't know what it left behind, but I know what I left. Now, this is live on a Sunday. I know what I left behind. I earned my pants. I mean, he says it on the air. And there's this pause for a minute and everyone starts laughing at the thing and the thing. And I just said, well, that's live TV. We take a quick break and, and, and we come back. But, you know, for that show, they sent me down to Roswell, New Mexico. And and I did a whole thing down there. And those kind of shows, you know, we always did if an election was coming up. You know, right now, what kind of shows would we be doing? We'd be doing things about Portland, the trash, the homeless, right. the protests. We would probably be doing a whole series. But every once in a while, we, we had room to throw in those kind of weird shows like UFOs. And these people that were excellent with coupons, you know, they could live on $5 a month by <laughs> coupon shopping. But those were those were just kind of what I called sort of fun shows that drew huge interest. Right. So it, you're, it was a challenge to do that show. But man, did that shape me and really uh, hone my skills you on bet. interviewing and some other things, you know. And, and then uh, how many years, how long did you uh, co-host uh, AM Northwest? AM Northwest, I was just a fill-in on there, and they, they always, in a ratings period, would have sometimes Steve Dunn and I do it for a week uh, to kind of boost the ratings and, and do some other stuff, but I I was just a fill-in on okay. that. Where I really started was on the old 2 at 4 show, which was an afternoon show right. at 4 o'clock with Margie Boulay, who was a great talent, and um, Paul Lindman. Paul Lindman. And I was sort of the news guy there. And then they started kind of using me in that show. So I was never the full-time host on either of those shows, but they used me a lot on uh-huh. those shows. So at one time, KATU, when I worked there, was doing the most live programming of any station in the country. Live audi- Imagine this, live audience for AM Northwest, live audience at four, for two at four, you know, this, these audiences would be coming in. We had Faces and Places, which was kind of like a People magazine type show, you know, yeah. back then. Those are, and that was uh, Mary Sterrett mm, and Ron, Ron, yeah. Ron and, and they were live. We would toss to them from the 6.30 set at 7 o'clock. I mean, it was such an exciting place to be because it was just always happening, you know, back then. Well, and, you know, that's why we get into local TV. I mean, uh, t- t- I loved... I, I went from eight to two so I could host Am Northwest, but I loved, you know, we did a, a live show with the Portland Marathon and we did a live yes, coverage of the, of, the, of the races at PIR. And, uh, you know, that's what, what made the connections between KGW and, and the city and K2 and COIN. And, you know, even the radio stations like KGW AM and Kissin, yeah. there was, there was connection there when we did that kind of stuff. And, and that's, that's local TV and that's Portland TV good old days yeah and i don't think you you find that same connection now there's things we do but in this and in, in social media connects with people it absolutely does but that really connected on such a great level back then when there was no social media it really did yeah you know that was really the only social connection was radio or tv locally 
Uh, think about some of the the bigger stories of the time. You know, you and I both got there after Mount St. Helens, but uh, yeah. You know, the flood of 96. Flood of 96. I mean, uh, that because that, that was like a week-long event. We knew it was coming, yeah. and we were on the air forever. Uh, it seems like we were on the air for like uh, two weeks. And I remember sleeping at the station, just like it was just nonstop. And the visual, the visual elements from that, I mean, it was like incredible. I remember um, in Lake Oswego, a dock broke off near the Rams pub or something that there. And I kept telling our crews, I said, it broke off. I go, give it about a half hour. So it's going to come floating by downtown Portland. <laughs> and then sure enough, here it came. And I, we had predicted that, you know, here it came. And, but that was just so, and the member of the people gathered to build the seawall under Vera Katz, yeah. asking people to come down and build, you know, the plywood walls uh, and we hadn't seen that since 1964 when there were the Christmas floods then. Yeah. I was, Portland, I but... was live down there. I'd done the morning news with Brenda in the morning. We got off at noon. Then they sent me down there. I was on the air from 4 a.m. till 8 or 9 o'clock down there at that seawall. Oh, <laughs> it was. But yeah, I think if you were to ask me one of the bigger stories, I always tell people, I think it was the 96 floods. I mean, there's been so many things. I mean, uh, just Springfield, think about the Thurston High School oh. shooting. Yeah. That was pretty bad. The new and, Carissa. Uh, the new Carissa, which, which somehow everyone, you know, because they couldn't sink the ding thing, you know, and remember that. And I was here then, and that great Mike Donahue was our reporter down there, you know, our anchor reporter there. And Mike did such a fabulous job covering the new Carissa. And then after a while, viewers got tired of it because we were constantly showing every day. And they said, we see that new Carissa one more time. But it became not funny, but it, kind of did because remember they tried everything to sink it and they couldn't sink it and, and, and then it, it floated to, back it then came it floated back, back. <laughs> and it was a story that wouldn't die you know and so there were so many Keiko flying away oh Keiko I, I forgot mean, about know, that, that yeah. Keiko and, and then when he went people were crying and the and you know and there's just so many so many stories you know that uh it's hard to put one, but the floods were definitely up there, I think. Yeah. So, so that's that, you know, those were the good old days because now, unfortunately, it's the uh, it's the graffiti. It's the protest. Yeah, it's the it's unfortunate a, homeless situation. Yeah. Um, you know, you're still there. I got out of town. Uh, it has got to be a um, I mean, those stories go forever and ever oh. and ever. How do you keep covering them without just. You well, know, grinding it into the ground. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the forefront in that, I think, with anchors. You know, a few years ago, I did the Unsheltered Truth, where yeah. I followed five homeless people around for three months. I shot most of that story with my iPad. Now, keep in mind, I'm putting the story together as I'm anchoring all the newscasts. So when I do that, I mean, I, I have to psych myself up because I'm in for 15-hour days, most weekends, you know. And, and, but I thought that story was good. And then just last spring I did is Portland over. And then I included some of our other reporters in that taking various elements, but the response to that story I first did, which, which, you know, where I put the mayor on the hot seat saying, you know, what are you doing exactly here? I mean, you know, how can you assure the people of Portland that they're safe when it comes to what's happened with the police, when it's come to what, what's happened with it. And where is the sense of urgency to fix the problem? It's sort of like Portland decided to lose a sense of urgency. I've also done stories, and I'm about to reprise this, on Portland's 
has the most, an, an, people don't realize this, most antiquated form of city government in the entire country for a large city. Hmm. We have that commission style government, which doesn't work, which really doesn't work when there's a crisis or crises like we had. And you saw that happen. No other city, well, we don't elect city council people by district. So Carl, if you were running, let's say we changed it like other cities and you were district one, which represented Northeast Portland. And there was a bunch of trash and homeless in Laurelhurst Park. I'm not saying that problem would go away, but with you living there and, and being accountable to your constituents people, yeah. from that district, it wouldn't be near as bad. But right now we elect people citywide. And even the mayor told me there's no accountability under this system because they don't, you know, the, they're not accountable to everyone. It's why we've ignored East County here in Portland for so long. We really do, there is an effort to change that form of government. And just speaking as a citizen, until Portland does that, it doesn't matter who's mayor, there's no, it, it's not gonna work. You know, we, we've got to change that. And and you think about, you, you know, it's it's an opinion that it doesn't work and 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 that may be the correct analysis of it. And I'm sure if you got to, to uh, people that know more than you and I do about city government and civics, uh, to try to change something like that uh, in Portland or in Oregon is very, very hard. I mean, it's very hard. I mean, you can't you can't pump your own gas in this state just because that's the way we've done it. And, exactly. And you can't, uh, uh, you know, we can't change, we can't have a sales tax in Oregon because we don't do that, uh, which which is doesn't make a lot of sense when you have all these visitors coming to town from other states that exactly you, you know yeah. so those kind of things can be uh analyzed and we know that there's a better way to do things but that change is really hard it's hard there, there's a move to you have to change the city charter and then has to vote for a vote and most people really don't get into the nuts and bolts of city government they said well portland runs fine yeah but if they knew what other people know from around the country city experts they'd say no, Portland, that form of government, the commission style government has to go. Um, Galveston is where the commission form of government started and they got rid of it in 1948 because it was so antiquated. So that tells you how far behind Portland is. Yeah, so, so uh, it, it's nice to hear you say that because I mean, that sounds like another special if, you, if it can, or a town well, hall I, where you- I've done, yeah, I've done some stories on that and I think it's part of our series is Portland over taking another look at it, yeah. you know. You also, when you were at K2, before you moved to Cohen, Cohen uh, were again at the forefront of the homeless issue. Uh, you spent a week or so on the street yourself. Well, I, I think that was in 1986. So I'd only been in Portland uh, three years or so. And that's when we had baloney Joes. And the homeless problem was mainly uh, men, there were no women and children like you see now. It was men. Uh, alcohol was the problem. It was right. it wasn't drug. You had Bloney Joe's and you had a few other places, St. Francis Dining Hall, and you had some other places. And the I gospel mission, yeah. Gospel mission. And I went on the street and lived there. And I worked with photographer Eddie Belmutis. And I would and it would and Norm Gunning was the uh, assignment editor, and he was the we were the only ones that knew I was doing this, and they took video of me and it was kind of a personal diary of what it was like to be homeless. And that really struck a chord with people. I mean, years later, people would come up to me and say, God, I remember that. And I know Jesuit high school for years used to have that as a video that they would show their 
a religion in the religion classes and stuff and, and, and show that. And I still get people saying, yeah, I remember when you lived on the streets. I brought a little bit of that video back for Unsheltered Truth that I did two years ago. I started it by saying 30 years ago or 35 years ago, I, I lived on the streets of Portland. But I slept at Baloney Joe's. I slept outside. I I did some other things, but it was never as dangerous as it is now right. or as huge a problem as it is now, you know. Right. And yeah. as a reporter, you could live on the street <clears throat> and learn, but you always knew you still had your job. You still had your yes. home. You, when it was yeah. over, it was going to be over for the people that you're examining. That's life uncertain Yeah, out there. For Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, you know, there's no easy solution to that problem, but I did in, in, in Unsheltered Truth, I traveled to San Diego and there's a guy there that it just so happened I had gone to high school with him and mm. he has a pretty good program that that moves it. But he said, and I asked the mayor this in my story, he goes, the problem with Portland is you have confused compassion with tolerance. And he goes, you, you can't do that. And when I asked the mayor that, I thought he was going to dispute that. And the mayor said, he's absolutely right. We have. So the mayor is saying you have, sometimes have to take a stronger stance. It's not compassionate to let someone die on the street because they're shooting up and you're saying, well, that's their thing. Let's be tolerant about it. That's not right. That's not compassionate. You do have to take a stronger stand in that. You don't just say, well, let's leave them alone. And they're living in filth and let's, you know, that's their thing. No, that's not compassionate. You have to take a stronger hand in that. And so that's, I think, at the core of the problem. Anyway. It, will, it will be interesting when somebody does a podcast 30 years from now and looks back at this at the good old days to see if we've solved that or come close. Yeah. 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 I know um, one of your uh, your big projects over all these years, Jeff, has been the foster children. Uh, oh, yeah. You're still doing Wednesday Child's? Well, well, not with COVID. It just became, okay. we were trying to, and it was like, no, the kids. But, you know, Carl, I've done that for 35 years, and I, there's a lot I don't tell people on the air, but you wouldn't believe, uh, you wouldn't believe the emails I'll get. And one comes in at least once a month from someone who's a grown adult with families of their own. Jeff, do you remember me? I was your Wednesday kid there. And a lot of times I can find the video. That's what they're usually looking for. Right. And, I, and I've done a few where I've reunited with them and talked with them, including a woman who I took on a Disneyland trip with five other Wednesday kids when she was little. Now she has kids of her own. I think she's even a grandmother now that one of the kids has <laughs> And she tells me how that trip changed her life, how it was because someone saw it on the air and they adopted Carl, I just have a story of a girl who was 13 or 14 when I featured her at Barnes and Noble at Bridgeport Village, and Marissa is her name, and she was wonderful when I did it, and there was a lot of response. A family saw that, adopted her. They'd already had grown kids, adopted her. She fit right into that family, Well, and that was a few years ago. Well, at the start of the pandemic, I featured another girl about the same age, and we were at Gabriel Park wearing masks. And I brought my little dog, Lucy, along. And so, you know, we had something to do. This girl, a former Wednesday kid who's been adopted, saw that. And to make a long story short, this Wednesday's child was adopted by this. <laughs> She's now in that family, I guess. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's all come full circle. That is probably the most rewarding thing that, you know, when I'm long done with this, that 
will be, I've got some scrapbooks that you wouldn't believe, but I don't share those really with viewers. I kind of feel like we've intruded on these kids' lives anyway by kind of saying, you know, and, and when they find a home, that's great, but I kind of don't want to intrude on their lives anymore. But my wife and I started a, a foundation for foster kids, and we used to have the party at my house, believe it or not. I used to live on some acreage, and we would have the party there, and other media people would come, and we would raise quite a bit of money. But we would use that for these foster kids for sports programs and things like that, that, you know, and helping out foster families. And then a few years ago, we wrapped that up and gave the money to a similar organization that does that now. But when we first started, there was no one doing that. Mm -hmm. And then there were some other, I think John Canzano's foundation does a little bit of that. Ball face and truth. It, yeah. And, and, and so I think that's great. And so now there's other people doing it. And we did our thing and we got it off the ground. And we've got, I would sometimes write about $20,000 $20, worth of checks a month. You know, I remember staying in the newsroom late at night writing these checks. And, and you know, there's a lot of paperwork that goes with that. And right. it was all volunteer. And after a while, it uh, we, we did our duty. There were other organizations that we wrapped that up. But that will be the most rewarding thing, I think, that I've done in my career is that, I think. Well, it, it's, a, it's a great legacy, but it's also a great uh, testament to the power of Again, yes. local TV news and yes. what, what we can do to help yeah. the community for all the garbage we have to yes. hear about. We're, we're on this side, we're not on that side, and you're not covering this story right and blah, blah, blah. Um, <clears throat> okay, you can criticize us, but, but that kind of stuff that you're doing, that John Canzano's doing, that all the promotional, you know, the, the toy drives and stuff like that, that connection with the community uh, is is maybe just the one reason why we should be doing what we've done all these years. Absolutely. You've, you've said it exactly. And it's the one thing that keeps you going because, you know, you get off that set sometimes it's like, Oh, what did we just talk about? Murder, yeah. protests, <laughs> uh, you know, cold case that they can't solve the blazers have lost, you know, <laughs> and, and you say, and you come off that set and you're like, okay, you know, and, but you know, when you can come off of that and then get an email from someone saying, you know, Jeff, do you remember in 1992, I was your Wednesday's child and we played basketball. I just wanted to let you know, you know, someone watched that story and they adopted me and I have two kids now. And you're like, nice. oh my gosh. And then you also think, what the hell happened to time? How old was I? <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know. So anyway. um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, People know Jeff Gianola. They should. Uh, they, you know, they knew Bosley. They know Paul Lindman uh, and and you know, Kathy Smith and Shirley Hancock oh, and yes. Kelly. All all the people that have done such a great job. How often do you get mistaken for somebody else? Not not very often. Um, that does happen to a lot of people. Not very often. If, if I do, they'll think Steve Dunn even right. though we don't look anything alike, but they remember kind of, I think that I was on channel two mm -hmm. and they remember that Steve and I anchored the 11 o'clock together with Rob Marciano and Ron Carlson, which was uh, that, that, that 11 o'clock was something <laughs> else in that day with all of us doing it. And, um, and I think sometimes if they do, it doesn't happen very often, but if they do, it's usually Steve done. Hey, Steve, right. they'll call me Steve. And then usually they correct themselves right away and say, Oh, Jeff, but I'll tell you, the person I used to get mistaken for, there was a guy named Norm that used to be the general manager at the Multnomah Athletic Club. 
And I didn't think he looked anything like me, but people thought they did. And I would be either near the club or around there when someone would come up to me and start talking about the squash courts or <laughs> what are we going to do about something? And I would sit there and look at him for a minute. And then I think he, they think I'm Norm from the Multnomah Athletic Club. And I told this one guy joking and he didn't take it as a joke. I said, well, don't worry about the squash courts. We're getting rid of them and putting in a parking lot. I said that one time. Then I thought, I better call Norman. Yeah, tell Norm's him in trouble. As a, Norm's a, and he got a big kick out of it. But he and I used to always laugh because people would mistake him for me. So that was my doppelganger in town. And it was a guy that didn't even work in the media, you know. Uh, well, I, so, I asked that because I know it happens to some people. For, for me, oh, yeah. I, I have been mistaken for you several times. Really? Yeah, and, and I'll tell you a, a story here. I, a lot of people say, hey, the weather guy. Uh, and then I love the people who say, I love you. I watch you all the time on Channel 12. I never worked at Channel 12. Channel 12, yeah. But uh, this is my Jeff Gianola story. And I think I sent you an email about this. You did. But okay. tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> so my wife and I are heading to the eastern uh, part of the state. And we stop in the Dallas for breakfast at the country kitchen. And, you know, you can tell when you walk in if people recognize you. And I could, you know, I could tell that they, my wife and I both, they, they recognized me and there were smiles and, and we're getting treated a little differently. And uh, it was kind of fun. And, and then, uh, and, you know, different people came up to our table because, you know, that guy's out there that's on TV. And at the, at the end, they, um, uh, somebody did come up and say, Mr. Gianola, it was really nice to have you here in the <laughs> restaurant. Uh, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> Then I sent you the email and I wanted you to know that happened. But then the tag was, and, and Jeff, I want you to know they love you in at the country kitchen of the Dallas, but they think you're a really bad tipper. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No, uh, you know what? It is funny. Do you find this when you traveled outside of Portland and you, you forget that, you know, this the stations are important you know, people across Oregon watch it mm -hmm. and my friend used to say the farther away we get from Portland the bigger you are <laughs> you know that was such a, a big deal you know if I and I'd love it if I go to Bend or I go to people are just so gracious and they come up to me and wow can I take my picture with you know and that's where it really hits you that this impact that you're having you know I'm really lucky because uh people um I'm pretty approachable, I think, on the air, and people feel that, I think, when I'm out, but they'll come right up to me, and you ought to go to Home Depot with me sometime, <laughs> I mean, they're, I mean, they're coming up, I'm helping, you know, and, and I get a big kick out of that, I mean, I, I just think how lucky I am, I know some media people, that bothers them when people come up, and I suppose if I was eating or something, it might, but, but, uh, you know, I just always remember, Bosley told me, he said, be gracious to them. And he goes, and if you're with your wife, introduce your wife to these people so she doesn't feel left out or your kids. But Bosley tells a funny story. He used to tell this of being at Jake's and eating with his lovely wife, Karen, at the time. And it was one of those tables where he was sitting like this and the table was open, you know, to the restaurant. And he uh -huh. goes, and sure enough, he says, I saw some guy sauntering up to my table and he knew he was going to say hi. And he goes, I knew at the last minute, he leaned on the table and the whole table flipped up and said, and there was Bosley and his wife sitting in the booth with their, all their food and their table, you know, and the, and the, and the guy didn't stop the guy. He could walk, Bosley said, he walked over the table in the broken dishes and stuff and said, Bosley, Bill Smith, you know. <laughs>
tigers, you know, glad to meet you, you know, and Bosley's just like, okay, you know, so people, people, people will do that. I was, I was just at a restaurant on Saturday and a guy from Silverton came up to me and said, I just want you to know my wife and I, we watch you down in Silverton. We're in Portland. I mean, how nice is that for them to take, you know, they, they, they don't want to interrupt you, but they don't want to leave without saying hi. And so that's, to me, that's really humbling. That's, well, that's not you, a, you say hi to them every night. Exactly. And, and, and that's their chance to return the favor. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's just such a compliment. And, you know, honestly, if they didn't do that, then you'd have something to worry about in our business. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Then so, the, uh, the, the Q factor yeah. would not be as high and uh, contract yeah. negotiations next week would not be great. Hey, yeah. uh, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy and you got an 11 o'clock newscast to get ready for. And uh, uh, say hi to some friends of mine, like uh, Dan Tilkin. I used to say, oh, right yeah. And what a great reporter. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, and Rich Kerr is still your news director, right? Rich is our news director. Did you, did you work with him at Channel 8? Yeah, yeah. Rich and I worked a lot of years together. Uh, talked a lot about Notre Dame football and all that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I, I go in there and talk with him. You it's know, fun to see Rich, him. It's fun to see him now with those little girls because... That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> Here's a guy that was a bachelor just a few years ago. Met this wonderful woman. They had a baby, got married, and within a few months now they had then they had twin girls so yeah. now he has three little girls boys up and i looked at him the other and go isn't it funny how life works out rich <laughs> where were you two years ago you know it's, it's, so anyway well, he's just i happy. always liked having a news director that had a family yes because then they understand they understand all those people in the newsroom yeah and that's why you know that carl that's what i always tell people i go you want a news director you know, you're never going to get 100% what you want in a news director. But I said, you want one that understands family life and that things come up. So because our business is so demanding, you know, to to get that. Well, I wish I was uh, uh, could retire like you and play golf and have have these fun conversations. But I'll be I'll be there pretty soon, I think. Good for you. you. Know? Good for you. I'll be there pretty soon. All yeah. right, uh, Jeff, this has been great. I appreciate your time and continue. Oh, it's good my success. pleasure. It's always good to see you and haven't talked to you in a long time. You were, and you know this. You, I always tell you this. You're always one of my favorite people in the media. I always thought you were so dang funny and uh, was sad to see when you left because I thought you had such a great, but you you went on to other things. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm looking back at the good old days with all my friends, Jeff. So thank you I very much. That. We all will right. see you down the road. Okay. Take care. Bye, Carl.